Welcome back to another episode of Plays in Action. Uh, I'm back here in action. This is Jared, uh, one of your hosts. Excited to be back for this week 15 of the CFL season. Uh, we're just about done this 2021 season. Uh, and so we're going to get you ready here for week 15. Uh, a couple games on Friday, a couple games on Saturday. Uh, and as always, I'm joined with my good longtime friend, Ben. How are you today, my friend, Ben? Friend Jared, I am tired. They can roll me out of the gutter when this season is over. I am a desiccated corpse of the human I once was, but we're ready for week 15 is what is whatever that means. And hey, let's go for it. There's money to be made, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully it goes a little bit more smoothly than the rest of my life feels. But hey, fun times, right? At least we've got fantasy football. That is very, very true. It's been uh, It's been a crazy season. One that I think uh, there's lots of question marks heading into the season, little bumps and ups and downs and that kind of stuff, but uh, we're almost... <laughs> and maybe uh, even more question marks line. coming out of the season, right? Like, we have no <laughs> idea who any of these players are anymore, it feels like. Jeremiah Mazzoli is the only guy who's playing like Jeremiah Mazzoli. Everybody else, quarterbacks-wise, wide receivers-wise, what a mess playing-wise. It's a little bit iffy every week trying to figure out who's actually for real and who's going to be a kind of a sketchy mess but I think there's a few guys that pop out this week for sure that we can focus in on and be ready to go for a better week 15 hopefully than the rest of them have had this season because there's been a lot of bad players this year right and I think it's uh, CFL is not immune from everything else kind of going on in the world I think it's probably going to take a couple seasons for things to kind of re- return back to to what it was pre all this craziness and that kind of stuff. But before we d- dive too far into today's episode, uh, once again, we want to thank Prize Picks for being a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, ben, for those listeners that don't know about Prize Picks, maybe you can fill them in. <laughs> Prize Picks is a site that makes fantasy sports simple. You just pick over unders on two to five players on individual stats or fantasy scores from more sports than you can possibly imagine and win cash. So, right now, if you sign up with promo code Ben Yamin, that's me, you can get a 100% bonus on your first deposit and help support the shows. That's Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Made Easy. And for those of you that listened last week, Ben, you did a great job of uh, doing the podcast solo, sir, as I was away in, in Las Vegas for work and um, spent a lot of time at the sports books. And, but uh, you, done, you done well, sir. Uh, it sounded really good. Well, as a deep-spirited introvert, I'm used to talking to myself in small, dark rooms on a regular basis. So it just felt like normal <laughs> life for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, it seemed like... Uh, you know, maybe not doing the full episode of the podcast. You had a you had a pretty good week last week, uh, looks like. Uh, it was one of my better weeks overall, as I kind of won everything on the two-game slate, which was nice. But unfortunately, on the big four-game slate, I believed in Macbeth. Nobody should believe in Macbeth. That guy is <laughs> inconsistent as you can possibly imagine. It's wild. Even just his attempts of anywhere between 19 and 50 on a given season. You have no idea what to expect on a given week. It should have been a great game versus Ottawa because everyone is great versus Ottawa. But that's <laughs> two stinkers that Macbeth has put up versus Ottawa this year. And uh, yeah, he's dead to me at this point, Jared. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, Macbeth. Yeah, we're done with you, man. Double, double, toil, trouble. We're done. Um, what? Uh, how did the money line... Did you win the money line? 
The Maple Leaf? Not, I mean, the Maple I did Leaf. not, but uh, yeah, yeah. Four weeks in a row I've had a top three finish, which should be encouraging. Ugh. But the reality is with a top heavy payout structure like it is for $1,000 for first and 300 for second and 200 for third, I've made $1,100 in the last four weeks instead of 4000 And that kind of a gap is pretty tough to overcome at the end of the season as far as the differentials between the little things, between a couple points here and there. If Macbeth had had even seven more passing yards last week, seven, one more completion, I win it all. But that's GPP life for you, right? Small differences make oh big God. differences. So anyways, yeah. the winning lineup was from Elmo Beeson. I think we've said his name once or twice already this season. Yeah, I think so we have. Winning score yeah. of 114.88. That is pretty low, friends. But uh, winning lineup was Riley at 7.8% ownership, Don Jackson at 38.8, Burnham at 8.1, Banks making a comeback like he's not a mm -hmm. dusty mess at 13.2%, Flanders at 7.5, James Butler at 5.8, and the Argos defense at 16.4. So what can you say about a three running back lineup in which all three running backs go 4x on their salaries and three players are sub 10% ownership? on a slate with just four games, that is tough to do. It was certainly a contrarian build, especially with $11,000 mm -hmm. banks turning back the clock to like it was 2017. It wasn't 2019 banks where he was really good, but he was good and not totally bad, which was kind of unexpected given the way it's gone in 21. So it was certainly a contrarian build in just about every way. And I guess that was the week for contrarians where Macbeth failed and Mazzoli really came up a fair bit short of what people had hoped for from him too. So yeah, it was the first week I can remember in a long time that the top scoring defense wasn't part of the winner. And a lot of that was that Winnipeg only put up 10 points this last week, priced near 6,000. And that wasn't going to be enough to pay off that salary. So we'll get more into defenses later and how much those salaries have skyrocketed this week to silly levels. But uh, congratulations, yeah. Elmo Beeson, again on your big win. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we'd have to go through the notes, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Elmo Beeson's won before. And and I yeah. think it it, uh, it it's his lineup. I think uh, proves our point that this has been a weird season and uh, certainly a a weird build a weird lineup like that like a three running back build ah, man, that does not seem like it would be a, a smart play but not most yeah, weeks a thousand but hey, reasons like, why that was for that guy living that contrarian life and that works out sometimes in yeah. the uh 50 chop block single entry life Nairomata had a score of 106.8 to win the show with Caleros at 18% ownership, Don Jackson again in a winner at 54.5, Kenny Lawler at 36.4, Jalen Tolliver, uh, or yeah, Jalen Tolliver, not Terrence Tolliver, throwback to the Hamilton days, at 9.1% <laughs> ownership, so he was the only one with Tolliver, Standback at 27.3, Curly Gittens. I often get his name mixed up and call him Girly Kittens, but we're not going to say that too often, I hope. <laughs> He's a pretty good player. I don't need to give him a hard time. 
Good on you, girly kittens. Yeah. And then the uh, tie cats <laughs> defense at 9.1% ownership. So Tolliver and Edwards were kind of the cheap wide receivers of the week with Ellingson and Walker both out for Edmonton. Now I had the Armonte Edwards side of things at 2,500 and he had nine targets on the night that he turned into four points. Well, Tolliver turned his four targets into nine points and that was kind of the difference maker in the contest there. I'd be happy to go back to Edwards again this week if it's still the same Edmonton offense because getting nine targets for $2,500 is quite thing and uh, Edwards is still only 3K this week. So that's another punt option. But there wasn't a single miss in this lineup. They all had at least double-digit points and that made the difference as none were too low-owned but they dodged the bullets with the Montreal wide receivers, Macbeth and Mazzoli and all those kind of things. They just didn't make a mistake and that was more than enough to win in the single entry this week. So congrats to Naromato on the win and uh, good luck y'all in week 15. Okay, I feel like the last few weeks when we've done this show, we've we've liked to uh, harp on the, the coaching and the, some of the coaching decisions. So I was watching the end of the, the Riders-Elks game and I don't understand what the Elks are doing when... They were down by a touchdown. They scored two touchdowns or something like that. Scored a touchdown. And then all of a sudden they were going to go for two. And then there's a penalty on the play. And so they moved closer to the line. But then they were going to change it up and then kick the field goal. But then the ref was like, no, no, because you've already gone for two. You have to go for two again. Like, who who is making those decisions on the sideline? Like, I would love to know what was going on with that, that coaching decision. Well, I think we kind of know what's going on with those coaching decisions. And unfortunately, it's exactly what we've talked about. There's a lot of guys who seemingly are in over their heads at this point. I'm not saying I'd mm. do better, but I can guarantee you there are people who would do better. And they're available yeah. because, yeah, like stuff that's gone on in BC, Toronto, Edmonton on like a weekly basis this season has you shaking yeah. your head and saying, what on earth? And well, two of them, Elizondo and uh, coach out in BC, what's his name? I can't even remember anymore, but they were both on the Ottawa coaching staff the last number of years to gear, Rick Campbell. So like, if you want to know why Ottawa fell apart, two of their coaches have already ruined two other franchises this season. <laughs> and then you've got Toronto. That's just kind of a weird one. Like, I don't know if I have it in the notes for later on. Yeah, I do for this first game, Hamilton, Toronto. We'll get into it here in a second, but like Hamilton and Toronto over under a 45 Toronto minus one Toronto yep. is such a weird thing to understand that they're eight and four this season. Like one of the better records in the CFL, but yep. Toronto has a negative 22 point differential on the season and they're the only team without a losing record in the league to have a negative point differential. Essentially, they've really? completely run pure on the season. They aren't actually as good a team as their record reflects. So like I'd take the over on Hamilton's implied team total of 22, which is a ridiculously low number. Toronto's only held Ottawa under 24 points since the beginning of September over two months ago, and they've given up over 30 on multiple occasions. And with Mazzoli hitting his stride this week, I think Hamilton, the points, the Hamilton team total, there's a lot of stuff that you can hit there. Because I'll be honest, I don't think there's any way that Toronto wins here. Whether you want to take the money line, 
whether you want to take Hamilton on the points, whatever it is, Macbeth is so inconsistent. Hamilton's probably the second best defense in the league behind Winnipeg. And Toronto just isn't nearly as good as what their record shows for a lot of reasons of those underlying things. So yeah, I, uh, it's interesting to see how Toronto was managed to excel. And I guess you get a couple of games versus Schiltz led Montreal. You get a bunch of games versus Ottawa. It pads the record and all of a sudden they look like a contender. But yeah, that's a uh, that's probably a pretty overrated team in reality. And the coaching hasn't helped them along the way either as Dinwiddie just makes some, uh, some odd decisions on a regular basis as we saw, as we talked about with the victory formation with a minute and a half left on the yeah. clock a couple weeks ago. So yeah, no, there's some weird stuff going on there. So yeah, Hamilton, the points and the over on their implied team total of 22, I think are all pretty safe bets this week. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the first game of this week, 15. That's um, uh, the early game on Friday. Um, and we, before the show, we were talking about weather. What's the weather like going to be like in Toronto? Yeah. Weather's going to be kind of sketchy across the board to some extent, right? Like we're getting into November in Canada. We get what we get. So Calgary at BC is the dome game. That's the only one that's really safe this week. Hamilton at Toronto looks like it'll be right around low single digits temperatures, kind of 30, 40 kilometer an hour winds and rain. So yeah, it's going to be sketchy, but I think pretty much every game this week outside of the dome game is going to deal with freezing temperatures, 15 mile an hour winds and a chance of rain or snow. So whatever you're doing, they're all kind of in the same mess outside of Calgary, BC. Yeah. And because of that, do you think the uh, quarterbacks are going to be able to put up kind of the, the number some of these prop bets we're starting to see? Or is it going to be well, more of a it, running game kind of thing? Yeah. In the CFL, you have to pass. Like, you've only got yeah. two downs to get your 10 yards. They're not going to be able to grind it out. It's just not a possibility in this game. And still, even with a little bit of wind, it's not ridiculous wind. And even in the cold, it's not ridiculous cold yet. And rain doesn't nearly make as much of a difference as it used to with the gloves these guys have now. So you're going to see guys who can yeah. still for throw for 300 yards in the playoffs and then through the end of the regular season. But whatever is going to affect them is all going to kind of affect them equally. So maybe projections go down a little bit, but they kind of go down for everybody because yeah. everybody's playing in this crap together. So yeah, like for props this week, Mazzoli's prop on Bet Regal was 293.5. I think that's a fairly safe under. Like, he projects for 248 yards passing on 30 and a half attempts at 8.1 yards per attempt. The math says it might not get close, but it might be a little bit more. Like, one thing to keep in mind is Toronto only gave up 90 passing yards last week. Duck Hodges is that bad, <laughs> right? Like, 90, pa- 90 passing yards in you the heard CFL it here first, as a professional <laughs> quarterback. Duck Hodges, not good at football. Like, it's just like the first game of the year where Matt Nichols had whatever it was, 73 passing yards for Ottawa, right? That's twice this year. (laughs) Ottawa has been under 100 passing yards as a professional football team. It's pretty bad. So if you put Toronto, even having given up like 250 passing yards in that game, their average bumps from 
7.9 yards per attempt to almost 8.6 yards per attempt just on that one game. And if they're 8.6 yards per attempt giving up, they're a bottom three pass defense. If they're 7.9, they're a top three pass defense. And that's kind of the nature of the CFL, right? So I think they're probably more like that 8.6 yard per attempt defense in reality. Uh, if that's the case, Mazzoli projects more for kind of 270 yards passing, which is a little bit closer to the 293, but I still think probably the under, given the weather, given the uh, context of it, under 293 is a pretty safe number. There's a lot of other yep. books like Cool Bet or like Sports Interaction that have the Mazzoli prop more like 265 instead of 293. That's a lot closer to the actuality. But if you're on Bet Regal and can get under 293, I think that's a, a fair one to take according to the math. Yeah. And I think this game, like, obviously we're also talking getting ready for the playoffs. This game has the most playoff implications. So if the Argos win or tie, mm-hmm. they clinch first in the East. If the Tiger Cats win, uh, that would move them into first, um, and then uh, would clinch a playoff, a home playoff date. So, um, yeah, this is definitely not going to be the game where uh, the coaches are going to be resting starters or anything like that. Like I think this game is uh, is going to be a competitive one here for sure. So. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I th- I think Hamilton is is the better team. Uh, team math would prove that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, I yeah I like the, I like that uh, under from Mazzoli. Uh, moving on to the next game on Friday, the later game is Calgary at the BC Lions. Um, do you have a lean one way or the other on this one? Oh, we've got the over-under at 46 and Calgary minus two. I don't have strong feelings about this. And I'm a person who has strong feelings about a lot of things. But the thing (laughs) I do know is that the pace should be up as quarterbacks project both for over 35 pass attempts each. So I think if I was pushed on it, I'd probably take Calgary in the points. They seem to be trending in the right direction, their defense improving, and now they've added Trey Roberson and Reggie Bagleton to the mix, whereas BC kind of seems to be trending down. They started the season really hot on defense, only giving up a couple of touchdowns over the course of five-game span, but they've really kind of come down from there. They're a mediocre defense. They're fine, and their offense is kind of one-dimensional without any running game. So it kind of goes the same for both teams. Calgary and BC run the lowest percentage of run plays in the game and the highest percentage of pass plays. You can see things potentially shoot out if they're both having their 35-36 pass attempts like they project. You could see the over on the 46, given that they're the only game this week that's indoors and doesn't have to worry about the weather. So I think you could probably game stack that one and look for a shootout on the over as well. But uh, yeah, it all depends kind of whether BC can actually keep it together. In the last game that they played, Riley failed pretty badly versus Calgary a couple weeks back. And they might be better now with Whitehead back in the lineup. But BC has not been good over the past month. I think Calgary probably takes this one. Um, In the props world, you've got on Bet Regal, Bo Levi Nichols with 30 and a half is his (laughs) attempt prop. And Riley at 30 and a half as well as his attempt prof. And both of them project 15% higher than that at 35.3 for Riley and 36 attempts for Bo Levi. So both of those props overs at 30 and a half should probably be pretty safe bets too. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is one where I'm 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 leaning strongly towards Calgary. Like to me, BC is just a team that's that's floundering. They're kind of in the the Red Blacks Elks kind of camp right now. They're out of the playoffs. I think they've lost six in a row here. Um, they're not playing for anything. Calgary, if they, um, what's their playoff thing? Yeah, if, if this, so, the Stamps would clinch a playoff berth with a win or tie. Uh, yeah, over the I Lions, think BC so. can still sneak in there and catch Calgary because they've got two games oh, okay. left. And so, if BC were to win them out and Calgary were to lose them both. I think BC can still get it. That's kind of ridiculous. You've got a team at four and eight with two weeks left in the season that still play off live. But hey, that's again the CFL where you have only two teams that miss the playoffs, right? So yeah, good luck for them. Uh, We'll see what happens. So yeah, I think BC still has something to play for this week. But Calgary certainly looks like the better team uh, if you just look at current trajectories. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So... I uh, yeah, this is one where I I will be putting money on Calgary because I, I I just don't I don't see the life in the Lions, and it, uh, I'm sure losing six in a row doesn't uh, doesn't bode <laughs> well great. for the locker room. <laughs> yeah, no, not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like you said, weather wise, this one's in the dome in Vancouver, so uh, weather will not be an issue in this one. So uh, make sure to bet accordingly. Uh, so those are the two games on Friday. Then Saturday, uh, we got two games, and they're early, aren't they? Like 11 a.m. Well, I'm here in Alberta, so 11 my time, 1 o'clock Eastern. So 1 and 4 Eastern. Yeah, they're early so afternoons. Nothing past the night. I think it's 3 o'clock here in Regina is the Riders game. So yeah, it'll all be done by supper, which is actually kind of nice. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah no we've got... there. Winnipeg at Montreal with a 44.5 over-under, and Winnipeg is 6.5-point favorites now. With Caleros expected to play early in the week, they were 12.5-point favorites, and the line went from 12.5 to 6.5 pretty quickly. And that's probably fine, given that Winnipeg isn't sitting any of their defense. They're still going full bore on that side of the ball, and really that's the best side of the ball for them. So they likely don't stay as efficient on offense with Maguire under center than they were with Caleros. Um, yeah, six and a half point probably still feels about right. I think I would probably still expect Winnipeg to win by that six and a half. There are some folks who think that Winnipeg is just going to take their foot off the gas completely. Montreal still has something to play for and potentially a home playoff game if they can get second and overtake Hamilton. So yeah, Montreal still has something to play for. They've got Trevor Harris under center now, which is probably the best quarterback that they've seen since uh, Calvillo retired. So they've got a few more options now. We'll see what they can do. They looked like they had some life in Winnipeg last week where Winnipeg Mm -hmm. was still playing for something. So yeah, it'll probably be closer than what it was. And that's why the line went from 12 and a half to six and a half. But I still think Winnipeg by six and a half is a fair bet given their strength of their defense. How about you, sir? Yeah, I think, um, I like the six and a half for Winnipeg. Like I would, I would take the the spread on that one because, yes, I think Winnipeg, um, is not gonna. <clears throat> they're not gonna risk injury, because uh, obviously they they've had a pretty stellar season and all the futures are are on the Bombers taking it at all kind of thing. But I, I, if there's one coach in the league that I would have faith in, it would be, um, uh, the Bombers coach. Oh. Oh, Shea, right? 
that uh, yeah, yep. he would be able to keep his players his players mindset correct, right? Like that they can't just lay off the gas and not worry about it. That they have to maintain that intensity uh, for the last couple of weeks of the season here, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of keeping that fear of the bombers in the rest of the league kind of thing like that. So, so yeah, I like the six and a half. I, if this was nine and a half, yeah, I probably I think still if, would have bet, bet on the bombers. Yeah. I think if you're feeling frisky and think that, uh, Montreal is able to stay pace a little bit closer with, uh, Harris under center and maybe Winnipeg takes their foot off the gas, you can find the Montreal money line around a few places at kind of plus three twenty five. And that's a pretty sweet payout for a team in a situation where they've got something to play with, their opponent doesn't, their opponent is resting starters. Yeah, I I, I think Winnipeg wins this one, but if you think Montreal has a shot, that money line is a, a pretty appealing bet. Right. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's, I mean, when Winnipeg's won this season, they've won handily. Like, <laughs> well, like every through, week, you mean. <laughs> the, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the two, I was just flipping through the, the the scores. The two games where it was five points or less since the end of August was against Calgary and against Edmonton. So make sense yeah. of that. Yeah, good fun. <laughs> but uh, everyone else, it's been 30 to 3, 45 to nothing. Yeah, blowout 30. City. Like, yeah, exactly. So six and a half. Even if, you know, Calaris is holding the clipboard and taking it easy yeah i i think winnipeg wins this one pretty comfortably this week for sure yeah uh so then then the final game for week 15 is a rematch of um last week of but this time in regina with the elks at the riders yeah uh, big lines here (laughs) yeah we got the over under at 44 and like we said last week these are two teams that average a combined 37 points a game so again, the over-under feels a little bit high, and we've got Saskatchewan as 11-point favorites at home after being, I think, three-point favorites on the road when Edmonton really kind of played right with them most of the game. So I love the Riders, yeah, but did. 11 points is a ton for a team that struggles to even score 11 points some weeks like the Riders do. So 11-point favorite seems a little heavy. I didn't see anything in the game last week to suggest that this is really a double-digit gap between these two teams. So I think I'd probably like Edmonton plus 11 and just hold my nose while I sit in the stadium there at Mosaic. I'm not going (laughs) to cheer against the Riders, but 11 points is a lot in a professional football game, even with Edmonton. So it's going to be around zero on Saturday, maybe below that on the most recent forecast it's gonna be under probably is my guess for that one there are gonna be a couple offenses that struggle to start with and the cold weather might have them a little bit tense and a little bit tight so yeah i think under 44 edmonton plus 11 are probably pretty decent bets in my mind yeah one one thing that i don't think we've ever talked about on this show um, and I don't know if you do this, Ben, when you're bet lines, but teaser picks. So this would be a week where I'm going to be teasing the, I'm going to be parlaying the bombers and the riders, and then I'm going to be teasing those for six points. So what that does is that takes, like, I'm looking at Bodog right now. They have the bombers mm-hmm. at minus six and a half and the riders at minus 10 and a half. 
That drops it down to the Winnipeg minus 0.5. So basically, they just got a win. And the Riders from a 10.5 down to a 4.5. And, um, and then that pays minus... So both of those have to hit, but then that pays minus 110. Um, so that's something where, yeah, for sure, the Bombers are going to win. And then, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be 11 points, 10 points that the Riders are going to win, but... I can see them winning yeah, by a touchdown. Yeah, seems a little wild. Yep. Couple field goals or something like that. So, so that's going to be hopefully they score my, a touchdown. My, uh, <laughs> that's a fair point. <laughs> that's uh oh man, it's a rough season. So, anyways, but yeah, I uh, again, I think the Elks are just kind of playing preseason football at the end of the season and oh, just yeah. seeing who they've got and. They traded their starters yeah. a month ago, and what starters they had left over, they've had on injured reserve for the past two weeks. So, yeah, I think it's fair to right. say this is kind of a preseason level team at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then any props? Did you talk about any props for that game? Yeah, like I can't believe I'm going to tell you to take a William Powell over, but uh, Bet Regal had <laughs> William Powell over 44 and a half rushing yards. <laughs> he's as dusty as they come at this point in the CFL, but even he's been yeah. getting four and a half yards of carry. And in the matchup versus Edmonton, he projects for about five and a half yards of carry on 12 and a half attempts. So if you buy Saskatchewan as heavy favorites, he could get significantly more carries than that in the second half as well. 12 and a half could become 16 pretty easily as he's done a couple occasions. And at 16, he'd only need three yards of carry to get to that 44 and a half rush yards. So I think Powell over 44 and a half rush yards as 11 point favorites at home, trying to lock up a home playoff game in the cold seems like a pretty safe bet for that prop this week. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound like a good one for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well then let's, uh, let's move on to DraftKings. And, um, first of all, I think that the first thing we got to talk about is Timmy. I don't know what is going on with Timmy, the DraftKings yeah. salary maker. What Timmy's is on he a wild doing? bender. I think he's been listening to the <laughs> podcast and he's mad at what we've been saying. He's just kind of <laughs> sticking us with double guns every week with these salaries at this point. As, uh, oh yeah, Lord. I think we counted and there are 10 or 11 starters over $10,000 this week. And I think there's at least six that are nearing 11K with Standback all the way up to 11K. And everybody got priced up another full thousand dollars this week for the third week in a row. So salaries are like frankly ridiculous at this point. There's a defense priced almost near seven thousand, with the Riders <laughs> at sixty eight hundred. I've never seen anything like that in my life. In six years of covering this, generally the highest priced defense was about five. If you had one yeah. receiver over that was ten over ten k, that was really quite something. And running backs used to be in that seven k. 8k range they're all 9 10 11 now it's uh it's an interesting challenge where you're gonna be forced to play a couple of punts in that three thousand dollar range just so you can build with a couple of players you want so yeah it's a uh yeah. interesting adventure now so quarterbacks who like like mazzoli at 11 4 right now oh my gosh like yeah like, yeah it's a little you, wild right at? So with Kolaros out this week and all the QBs priced absurdly kind of 10K plus, 
I think either you are going all the way down to Maguire at 6,500 and hoping for the best, um, or you're going all the way up to Mazzoli at 11 versus Toronto in the uh, matchup that offers. Because I don't think you want 10K Fajardo. I don't think you want 10K Riley versus Calgary. Nobody wants 10K Bo Levi Nichols. Like, what a, <laughs> what a disaster that is. I don't even think is. his mom wants him. <laughs> and then you've got Macbeth, who has burned us more than enough. I will never die on that tree again. Macbeth is dead to me before he can make me dead. So I think that you're probably going all the way up to 11K for Mazzoli, playing double stacks and expecting that that's just what you're going to have to get versus Toronto. Um, or all the way down to Maguire yeah. at 6,500, who's literally like half the price of the rest of the top quarterbacks. So Maguire is not Streveler. And he's not Caleros. But if he even gets you 250 yards and one touchdown and even 20 or 25 yards rushing, that more than does enough to get him there at 6,500. So Winnipeg has two of the top four projected wide receivers with Lawler and Dembski. So Maguire will probably pop wherever you let him in your lineups. Mazzoli has been the best quarterback in the CFL over the last month and a bit. And really the only consistently hitty player that we've had on a week-to-week basis with yards and touchdowns so Toronto was a little bit better last week but it was versus Ottawa when they as we said we only gave up 90 passing yards aside from that matchup they've still (laughs) been giving up 320 yards and a pair of touchdowns just about every week through the air so Mazzoli's wide receivers are among the most affordable it's not like they were a couple of weeks ago where Dunbar and White were in the 3k range they're now 6k range but the decision is whether to double stack him at 11K. Like he'll probably have to go nuts and have at least two receivers go off to pay off that tag. But uh, yeah. the other options are essentially other 10K receivers. So there's not a lot that prevents you from playing two Hamilton guys other than trying to get in a couple other top values because you've got, well, we'll get to them later, but Whitehead and Kamar Jordan are both priced pretty mid-tier despite the fact they're probably two of the best receivers on the slate. So your kind of option is, are you going to double stack Mazzoli and play just one of Kamar Jordan or Whitehead, or are you going to jam Whitehead and Jordan into every lineup and single stack Mazzoli and hope for the best? Um, if you're looking for just kind of a YOLO play, uh, I think Fajardo double stacks, despite everything I've said, with Evans and Schaefer Baker are kind of interesting if you want to sprinkle one or two Fajardo lineups into your pool. Without Kyron Moore in the lineup, Evans and Schaefer Baker had a whopping 65% target share last week, which is pretty ridiculous. Oh that they both had over 20 targets between them. If that's the case versus a pretty bad Edmonton defense overall that's trending down in a game the Riders have a lot to play for, I think Fajardo could have a chance of finally having a game. Like, he's been bad. He's been downright yeah. bad on everything over 15 yards this year. His touch is just totally gone. But if there was a game in which he found it, even for a short period, and the offense stays condensed like it has been the last couple of weeks with Evans and Schaefer-Baker, both priced reasonably at least below 10K, I think there's some life for a almost not-owned Fajardo in a double stack this week versus Edmonton as pretty heavy home favorites. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where you're hoping that uh, Saskatchewan actually scores more than 20 points, which they've struggled to do over this last month. Yeah, well, as most teams have, it's quite something. But yeah, I think Saskatchewan's offense is very bad, but Edmonton is also very bad. 
So it's a matter of whether you think they can put it together for one last run on their home finale. I think it's not a high probability play, but it's a super low owned contrarian play that'll give you a way to differentiate from the crowd, certainly. Yeah. And, well, like we said at the start of the show, that Elmo guy, he uh, had that pretty contrarian lineup and he uh, he did pretty well with that. Yeah. Uh, we move from crazy quarterback salaries to crazier running back salaries. Like, maybe oh even worse, God. right? So, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. the projections for the running backs are basically as low have they been across the board on this season and yet salaries are the highest that they've ever been for running backs too. $11,000 for Standback versus Winnipeg is just straight dumb, right? Like I don't know what on earth they're going at there, but 10K for Carey or Powell who are next in line maybe even worse yet because they're not going to get nearly the volume that Standback does with Montreal still playing for something. So you've got those three. Mm-hmm. If you want to sprinkle any of Standback, Carrier, Powell, be my guest, but they're all terrible values at the position. And that kind of leaves us a trio of mid-tier and low-tier backs. So that leaves Foster at 7K, who's listed at the starter with John White out this week. He's solid, but it's a rough matchup versus Hamilton, who's really one of the better defenses in the league. If he's going to get there, it's going to be as a receiver anyways, as he kind of gets his five targets a game. Uh, Foster's probably one of the better values. You've got Butler for BC at 6K versus Calgary. It's also a pretty bad matchup, but again, he gets a lot of targets. I think he had six last week, and he's had at least four in each of the last four games. So he's getting targets. He's half the price of Standback, Carey, and Powell, and that gives them a little bit of an option, especially given they've got that dome game for him this week at home in BC. And then that leaves you potentially Fletcher in the 4K range at 4,700, who really showed up in week 14 with Wilder out. And he's probably the best running back play on the slate if indeed he gets a start again and Wilder is out, despite the fact Saskatchewan still has the best rush defense in the league. So those three, Foster, Butler, and Fletcher, are probably the only RBs I'm going to use this week. You could also punt potentially with one of Jackson Bennett or Malik Irons for Hamilton at 2,500 at absolute minimum price. But the reality is that clown car in the Hamilton backfield, we have no <laughs> idea who's going to come out of it on a given week, right? Don Jackson is out again. So you've got all of Sean Thomas Erlington, Jackson Bennett, and Malik Irons. They have them listed in random orders on week to week on the depth chart. They really don't mean anything. You never know who's going to get the carries or the targets. Any one of those guys could absolutely get 10 or 15 points this week at just $2,500 for Bennett or Irons. But there's just as good a chance, maybe a better chance, that they have low single digits or zeros if they don't get any playing time at all. And there's really no way to know exactly what Hamilton's going to do with it. So with only 14 lineups in the Maple Leaf, like you could go ahead, but there's better punt options at wide receiver, I think, that are a little bit higher probability hits than either of those guys doing something at 2,500. Do you think ownership is on standback is going to be high because he's... Like, I don't know, of of the, even the top three, he seems like the one that's kind of been the most consistent with putting up points this last month or so. Well, or if is we that 11,000 going to scare people away? Yeah, he was almost that price last week, and he was still in a third of the lineups in the single entry contest. I think probably a little bit lower than that in the Maple Leaf, but people are going to spend the salary somewhere. 
They're going to spend on at least one of these 10K plus guys in every lineup. I have no idea why you would want to go with a standback route this week at 11K. He's probably going to be higher owned than what he should be given the context. He only has three touchdowns on the season and he's almost entirely touchdown dependent for hitting value. Because if you hit 100 yards mm-hmm. rushing, that's that's a really great football game, but that's still only 13 points on DraftKings. And you really need at least 26 or 27 points for him to pay value at $11,000. So if you are looking at him at 11K, you're looking for 150 yards rushing, a touchdown and a couple of receptions. If you think that's what's happening versus Winnipeg, like be my guest. But despite how bad that defense is against the rush and how willing they are to let teams run, I I don't see him getting 150 yards, a pair of receptions, and a touchdown out of this one this week. So he's probably off my board completely. Yeah, uh, at that 11,000. Too rich for my blood, for sure. Um, Wide receivers. I think, yeah, one, two, three, four, four guys at the wide receiver position over at over the 10,000 mark. Yeah. Are you taking so any of those this, guys or are you looking elsewhere? I think probably you sprinkle all of them a little bit, have one or two out of 14 lineups just so you've got a touch of those outside of the Montreal guys. I don't think you want any of Eugene Lewis or Jake Wynicki, no matter where they are. Just Winnipeg doesn't give up scores or yards through the air. So... You've got a lot of those really high-priced 10K guys, and then probably the two best plays at wide receiver this week are actually priced pretty reasonably. You've got Lucky Whitehead, who's slated to have full return duties for BC this week on their depth chart, on top of his usual seven-plus targets a game, and that kind of makes him a lock this week, because if you can get six points out of the return duties as a floor, whatever he gets as a receiver is kind of bonus, which is pretty significant to add on six points just for essentially nothing so even versus Mm -hmm. calgary in their defense i think he's priced pretty moderately given what his workload would be and he'll probably be a good shot to be in almost all my lineups uh you've got kamar jordan as the other kind of mispriced receiver at 7800 given his rates and the upside versus bc the issue is going to be the unknown of how bageltown reopening in calgary affects his targets and role right Bagleton <laughs> averaged almost nine targets a game in his last season with Calgary. Jordan averaged eight and a half targets a game. I don't know how they coexist and what exactly that set, that uh, target share breakdown winds up being, given that Calgary is really kind of spread it around evenly this year. Um, it's going to be challenging to see how that works out. It's kind of silly how Bagleton is priced over 10K in his first game back after Duke Williams was priced 2,500 in his first game back. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how they're handling that, but hey, it uh, it's probably not an inappropriate salary given his talent level and what he's produced in the past. So maybe Bagleton being back opens up coverage for Jordan. Maybe it kills his volume, but at 7K for what his rates are and potential opportunity versus BC, Jordan is pretty hard to ignore as well. I think if you run 100 lineups with the projections right now, you wind up with 70, 80% of both of those guys in lineups. So their values and their overall ceiling are going to be pretty tough to ignore and keep them out. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Next at receivers, you've got the pair of Lawler and Dembski that are two of the other top four receivers, and they're both fair values under 10K. Uh, but there's certainly some uncertainty with Maguire playing quarterback instead of Caleros. I think if you play Maguire, you can play one or both of those guys in lineups pretty confidently. But if you're fading Maguire and thinking he's not the play, it might be fine spot to just fade Lawler and Dembski too. Um, go Whitehead and Kamar and stack your QB in your lineup instead. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Winnipeg does with a different quarterback. And then that brings us to Toronto. Yeah. They have nine wide receivers dressed again this week, even without Rodgers in the lineup. And so that makes target shares kind of sketchy. So all of Anderson, Daniels, Collins, and Gittens had nine plus targets in week 14 versus Ottawa. And really none of them turned out great fantasy performances. So with Breskison, Worthy, Brissett, and Foster back around, it's hard to see that they stay that condensed again at nine plus targets. Gittens is probably the safest one and the most reasonably priced of the bunch around 7K. But that Toronto group having to play against Hamilton this week, probably a lot of people will flock to them and their moderate tags. But Dress Anderson is probably the only one I have much interest in, given that he's full punt go at 2,900 and had 10 targets last week. I think even if he gets six targets, he can have a chance of not hurting you much at a $2,900 salary on a slate that's kind of starved for value otherwise. Uh, the other three punt wide receiver options are Armonte Edwards and Jalen Tolliver for Edmonton. Or you could even go the Reggie White Jr. option at, I think, 3300 for Montreal. I like them probably in that order. Armonte Edwards, Jalen Tolliver, and then Reggie White. Um, Dress Anderson probably just above uh, Reggie White for Montreal. Edwards likely doesn't get his nine targets again, but even five or six would be fine at his price, right around 3K. Tolliver similarly so. Um, Anderson had his 10 targets for Toronto in week 14, but I think that figure probably regresses pretty hard with the amount of receivers they have in the lineup and having to face Hamilton, their overall volume will probably be significantly lower as it's just going to be tougher to stay on the field for that offense. Um, I think that probably takes you through most of what you're looking at wide receiver and you're probably going to be in the spot where you're playing maybe both of Whitehead and Jordan in that 7-8K range, stacking your quarterback with at least one and maybe two, and then having to punt one position with one of Anderson, White, Edwards, or Tolliver. And I think that's probably how most lineups are going to get built this week. Hmm. Are you, the last few weeks, you've kind of been off your your boy Duke Williams, or been on your boy Duke Williams, but I didn't hear you bring him up. Are you kind of... Kind of no, like the, it, the riders at, at five six k for Duke getting only four targets a game. He's pretty tough to play. Like I think he's excitingly talented. He's absolutely saved the riders' butts three weeks in a row catching onside kicks. He's shown <laughs> yeah. the ability to get open and make plays. But if he's only getting four targets a game, it's tough to pay five six thousand dollars for that guy. So I think he's a lot better real game football player than he is a fantasy option at this point, given that the riders' offense struggles to complete deep passes, and that's kind of his game, right? So we saw the one he got open for and made a pretty acrobatic catch to pull in a bad fat Cody Fajardo pass for I think a 38 yard gain versus Edmonton but he still only had four targets and if you're getting that low of volume yeah. it's just going to be tough to play him yeah just not worth the value and then rounding out the ridiculous uh, salaries we go to the defenses 
How yeah, about them so, riders for 6800 bucks? <laughs> yeah, what a thing, right? Can you imagine? Right, like, they'd likely have to get 20-plus points. Well, for certain, have to get 20-plus points to be able to pay off a $6,800 tag on a defense. Like, I'm old enough to remember the defenses were never priced over five. And anybody who got close to that five range would be an instant just stay away because you're just fading a defense that's that expensive that they're probably not going to be able to turn it around. Winnipeg is also in that range, but they're a little bit better option than Saskatchewan given that they've had bad weeks at 10 DK points and their good weeks have consistently been over 20. So I think Winnipeg is an option. Saskatchewan, there's zero chance I'm playing any at 6,800. And the interesting thing is the Owls defense is priced right down near the bottom at only 3,700, but they've had at least eight points in six straight games. And now they get Maguire at home as his first start on the road for Winnipeg. And they're just about the cheapest defense on the slate after Edmonton. So I think the Owls are probably the best play at defense special teams this week, certainly given the value and maybe even for the ceiling as they've had two games over 20 points in the last month here too. So there's zero chance I play for Saskatchewan. There's some chance I pay for Winnipeg. And most of my exposure will probably be Montreal as we need the salary relief this week. And the Owls offer it pretty straight up at only $3,700. Now with Whitehead returning punts, what about the Lions defense? Yeah, like you can certainly go there if you want to try and kind of double it up and hope for a return touchdown. But again, the Lions defense, like we mentioned, they've been trending down significantly for the past two months. Losers of a half dozen games in a row, giving up increasingly more yards and scores. And yeah, I I don't worry too much about stacking my returner with my... uh, defense especially if it's a situation where the returner is a $9,000 receiver it's one thing if you're paying for a $2,500 backup running back just looking for a full punt play then then maybe you stack it with a $3,500 defense and hope to get two touchdowns out of $6,000 total investment but here where there's so many better options at defense and you're really playing whitehead not for his return potential of a touchdown but because he's one of the best receivers on the slate I don't think you need to go so far with only 14 lineups in the Maple Leaf of worrying about stacking Whitehead with the Lions defense it's really quite a bad unit yeah yeah it's 13,000 if you wanted to stack Whitehead in the Lions (laughs) woof (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot of salary for sure yeah um so build strategies for this week, obviously got to be a little more salary conscience than, you know, guys were probably a month ago or, or some something to that degree, thanks to Timmy. Um, so uh, any kind of closing piece of advice for guys as they're building their, their lineups? Yeah, I think I've gone through a lot of it already this week, but I think your reality is yeah. it all starts at the top with quarterback, whether you're going to pay up or whether you're going to save the money with McGuire. Mm. If you're saving the money yeah. with McGuire, it opens up a lot of stuff for you um, as far as paying some of the top-placed receivers and being able to fit in multiple guys. You can get all of Kamar Jordan, Lucky Whitehead, Kenny Lawler, and Nick Dembski in a lineup if you're paying with McGuire. And those are pretty, those are your top four receivers on the week with a min priced quarterback 
versus what's a pretty mediocre Cal- or Montreal pass defense. So if you're going that way, then you've got a lot of options. If you're going to pay up at quarterback and go the Hamilton route at Mazzoli, then you have to ask yourself whether you think he can pay that off with just one wide receiver hitting. You might want to get some of those Winnipeg players in there. You might want to have both Whitehead and Jordan, but probably at least two of those Hamilton receivers are going to have to have big games for him to pay off an 11K tag. So you're probably going to stack double stack Mazzoli, which then changes your lineup builds a little bit too if you're forcing that. So there's options to go around. It'll be interesting to see how it plays. Um, but I think the big question is what you're doing at quarterback and then the rest of the lineup kind of resolves itself from there as most of the running backs are all in that 4 to 7K range that you're looking at. So yeah, I think that's probably where you're leaning as far as strategy goes and then just see where you differentiate because those bottom three punts with Anderson, Armonte Edwards, and Jalen Tolliver are probably all going to be pretty high-owned again this week. Yeah. Yeah. You're bang on it. I think it, it all starts at the top. You figure out what strategy you want to go with your quarterback, and then it all kind of trickles down from there. So should be fun. Should be some uh, – hopefully there's some exciting lineups for this week and hopefully still some exciting football uh, in this week 15 of the CFL. Well, Ben, I think we covered it all. We got all the lines out there. We got all the DraftKing lineups out there. So I think all that's left to do is uh, week 15, and then next week is the last last week of the regular season. Yeah, full-blown uh, silly season kind of f- in week 16. So we'll <laughs> it's usually the most adventurous lineups of the year as a lot of guys are sitting. You wind up with ridiculous yeah. amounts of salary. I think the most adventure I ever had was 2017 where you could start Brandon Zilstra for $3,000 <laughs> and uh, he was the top receiver on the slate and I think I had $12,000 left on the table that week just because there was so many backups starting and so many starters sitting. So, yeah, enjoy your last week of actually spending anywhere near $50,000 on your lineup because next week in week 16, everything goes haywire. Yeah. And I guess, we, Ben, I guess we, we never actually talked about this beforehand, but so there's a game on Tuesday. It's actually, I think, one of those COVID makeup games with, between the Elks and the Argonauts. Yep. Uh, I don't believe we're going to get our show out in time for that there is uh, zero we'll chance just focus <laughs> yeah zero chance zero so we're chance. just going to focus on the the four games the two games on friday and two games on saturday for next week uh so we'll still have a show out for you guys next week and go through all of that so after week 16 as we get into the playoffs ben and i are still going to have a show each week uh there's still going to be betting lines uh, and i think there's still going to be showdown slates and DraftKings. correct ben yeah, there will be contests right through the end of the season for sure. Yeah, so we'll make sure you guys are, are set up and prepared for that for, for the playoffs moving forward. So we'll see you guys next week for week 16 of the CFL season. Um, good luck with your contest this week. Good luck if you're playing anything on Tuesday between the Elks and Argonauts. Blessings on you if you are. <laughs> and then, uh, well, yeah, we'll go from there. All right, Ben, we made it through. Uh, thanks so much, friend. I hope you have a great weekend and... Hopefully you can finally win that Maple Leaf this weekend. I'm cheering for you. Yeah, here's the going. It's all been so close, right? So anyways, have folks fun, have fun, and good luck in all your Week 15 contests. Thanks, everyone. Take care.